Good evening, my friends. Thank you so much for joining me again for our last class with regards to uh, this topic, Catholicism and the Antichrist. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. Man, wow. I had a cold and I'm struggling to get past it. Catholicism and the Antichrist, and again, let me remind you of the ground rules. If you want to be credible, quote God. You're unsure as to how to respond to something I say in this particular lesson? Refer to rule number one and it will surely be effective. Here I want you to notice the evidence is overwhelming. This is the last of the 16 classes that we're going to do on this particular subject. Now, never give up. We will address this again in the next 16 weeks, but we're going to move beyond it. God willing, in the next 16 weeks, we're actually going to be focusing on the Reformation and the restoration. So we're opening up in this 16 weeks with the great apostasy known as the Catholic Church, and then we're going to begin to discuss how men and women decided, you know, this is too much. We've got to try to get back to what God wants us to do, and so the Reformation movement was born. Didn't go nearly far enough. The, the, the vision of this particular movement wasn't nearly what it needed to be because it never really envisioned going all the way back to God. It just envisioned tweaking the Catholic Church to make it into something that they felt was more palatable. But then there came some brave men and women who decided, no, what we really need to do is scrap the whole thing, take the apostasy and throw it out the window, and let us go back and see what Scripture actually says. Sola Scriptura, the Latin concept of Bible only, absolutely. That's what the Restoration School of Biblical Studies is founded upon, that God is certainly qualified to speak for himself. He doesn't need man to give him all his opinions and all of those kind of things. So that's where we plan to go next time. But as we wrap things up in this particular lesson, I hope to just kind of overwhelm you with a but 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 I'm just going to give you a bunch of slides showing you the the amount of evidence that is there. It's overwhelming to suggest to you that Catholicism is no doubt in the pocket of the Antichrist. And we can see from this, if, if only half of what I'm about to present was true, it just should be enough to shake you at your core if you're a Catholic. And all that I'm going to show you is true. And so when you see this list, and I'm going to have to kind of go rapid because it's lengthy, but when you see this list as it is compiled against Catholicism, you got to ask yourself at the end of the day, why in the world would anybody stay there? Well, as you know, the way we start these things off each time is we ask five questions. Those are the five leading questions that you uh, should be ready to answer. If you're part of the School of Biblical Studies, go ahead and screenshot that, and you can kind of be jotting your answers down as we traverse this subject this evening. And uh, I hope that this will allow you to see some of the wrap-up that's taking place in this 16-week course with regards to Catholicism and the Antichrist. <clears throat> All right, did I give you time enough to do that? All right, here we go. Rapidly, my friends. Remember that over the last several weeks, we have been talking out of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, where Paul tells Timothy, time is coming, I believe we're living in it, when they're not going to put up with sound doctrine. In fact, they are going to be seeking out folks who will basically give them what they want, just validate whatever viewpoint they have. And then in verse 4, it says, and will turn away from listening to the truth, and I understood in truth, they want to wander off into the myths 
to, to wander off into the, those things that are, are attention grabbings, the sensationalism. A lot of times this happens with eschatology. It even happens within the restoration movement. The folks are so in, 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 engrossed in the mystery and the, the sensationalism of it that they fail to recognize there's more to it than just being sensationalized. You've got to really make application. Well, they're going to wander away from the truth. They're going to wander off into myths. And there you see the list of myths that we tried to offer in the second half of this course with regards to Catholicism and the Antichrist. As we now come to the conclusion, I again ask you to buckle up because what I'm going to do is I'm going to be hitting this button and we're going to just go through a list and we're going to be we're going to just see one right after another after another. A lot of which has already been covered in the 16-week course in great de detail. Some of which hasn't been covered in a lot of detail, but it will give you enough to start thinking on your own and develop your own convictions with regards to this. Are you ready? Here we go. This is the one that I will actually close with as well. The evidence is overwhelming. Christ says his words are enough. I mean, that makes sense. In the beginning was the Word, the Word's with God, the Word was God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word's enough, but not for a Catholic. Catholicism teaches that Christ's words are insufficient. They must be supplemented by church history and the magisterium. You're going to see this as I conclude this evening as well, so I'm not going to stop here for very long, except to emphasize that word that you see with the red underlining the first four letters. Anti-Christ. Christ says, my words are enough. Uh, read 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Catholicism says, Jesus is inadequate. You've got to have the church history and you've got to have the magisterium. Then you have the full package. Number two. Christ says that false teachers forbid people to marry. Again, read 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3. And yet Catholicism forbids their church leaders to marry. Now, in the course of this 16-week study and my de many debates that I've had with, with Catholics, I've noticed that they tend to say, no, there's some branches of the Catholic Church that will allow men to be married. But when you come to that which is most pressured, what is most acceptable, what is ranked as most spiritual among them, you know that it is true. All of those pressures mount around a man or a woman, for that matter, whether it be a priest or a nun, that they be unmarried. That they have absolutely zero experience in raising their own family. A nun should have no experience as to what it's like to be an actual wife. A, a priest should have no experience as to what it's like to be an actual father, an actual husband. Zero. They expect that of them. That's the pressure that is placed upon them. Christ says that teachers... False teachers are going to forbid people to marry. Catholicism does that. Antichrist, I think so. Christ says that we are not to call any man father in substitution of God. Now, again, their excuse is going to be, yeah, but uh, we've heard people, Paul even refers to himself as being the spiritual father of, of Timothy, for instance, etc. But I need you to recognize that what's actually happening there in Matthew chapter 23 is that Jesus isn't forbidding so much the identification of a father as he is he's forbidding the ranking, the elevated positions that we place. And you'll see more of that in, in the list that is to come. But again, Christ says not to call any man father in substitution of God. Catholicism not only calls the Pope father, they call him Holy Father. Again, you see the ranking thing going there. It hijacks God's honor by bowing before the Pope and kissing his ring. For further, for further information, see the note following this list, which is not actually going to be here, but in that particular note, it would say to you, 
recognize that special titles such as cardinal and uh, other titles such uh, uh, of that nature, those things are all in indicative of a group that is elevating above one group above another. Anti-Christ. Yeah, I think so. Christ says not to lay up treasures on earth, but that because if you did, they become a distraction uh, to your heart and it leads you away from your heavenly priority. And I, this one just, again, as you've seen in this particular series, uh, it just probably is at the heart of their perversion. I have never seen a Catholic squirm as much as they squirm under this particular accusation, uh, which is a provable, provable accusation, by the way. Jesus says two things. Number one, don't lay up treasures on earth. They do. And number two, he says, if you lay up treasures on earth, it's going to steal your priorities from heaven and try to keep them here, which is exactly what happens with Catholicism. All of them, with all of the, the <coughs> mesmerization of, of, of Rome and, and the Vatican and all the stuff that they have. Catholicism lavishes the Pope and the Vatican with priceless treasures while many of their own members starve. Their perverse doctrines of, of uh, penance and and. and and trying to buy a loved one's uh, state out of, of purgatory and all of these things of the past that they have done, a lot of this perverse uh, pursuits of the Catholic Church actually led to a pretty good bounty of, of money and stuff that they were able to build an entire palace. They got an entire city over there that, that is recognized as its own state, its own country, uh, and it, all the lavishness that they have, and yet they still feel that that has to happen. <clears throat> this is what needs to happen. <clears throat> if you were to put the Pope beside the Christ, you would see no similarities. Jesus, who didn't even have a place to lay his head at night, cannot be compared to a Pope who puts his head on a silken pillow every evening as he goes off to sleep in a palatial, opulent, materialistically gluttonous context. There's no comparison. Antichrist? I think so. Christ says that Mary was a virgin until she conceived him. Then she had other male and female children. And again, you can read those passages for yourself or pedal backwards in the series. I, I detailed this. Yet Catholicism teaches that Mary was a perpetual virgin, virgin and she never fulfilled her marital responsibility to Joseph. I think the one thing that Catholics really fail to address is that last part, that she never fulfilled her marital responsibility to Joseph. Do you know one of the very first commands God gave to Adam and Eve, the first man and woman? They were to leave father and mother, be joined to the wife, and become what? One flesh, procreation. It is the original responsibility of the two. He gives the command to Adam and Eve to fill the earth and subdue it. He then gives the same command to Noah and Mrs. Noah to fulfill the earth and subdue it. That, as far as I am, I've never read a passage that ever said that that rule was taken away from us. And so we are still under the commands of God that we should procreate. And yet Mary, according to the Catholic doctrine, refused to do that. Because again, part of their Gnostic background would suggest that if she were to ever have had sex later on, somehow that would have tainted her. You see again the carnality of that thinking, that somehow sexuality is a dirty thing, even though God commands it all the way back in the second chapter of Genesis. 
Antichrist? I think so. Christ says idolatry, idolatry is a vile sin. And yet Catholicism has treasured up images of all kinds and bows before statues of Mary and other saints and lights their candles, gold-plated, all kinds of stuff. Idolatry, the bowing before, the paying homage to, the seeking advice or seeking uh, mediation by which these folks are supposed to, these folks are supposed to be able to offer it to you. All of that stuff represents idolatry. No matter what Catholicism wants to say and do, no matter how they want to argue, squirm, try to twist the facts, they are idolatrous in nature. And there is no sin in all of Scripture that God has been more harsh, spoken out on more often than idolatry. And you can understand why. Because it begins to replace him. Antichrist? I think so. Because in idolatry, what we do is we set things up, people up, in a competition mode with Jesus. Not unlike Mary, who again, is supposed to be a perpetual virgin, never has sinned. I had one Catholic tell me she never even died. And so she's there in heaven competing with Jesus for our prayers in a sense because so many people believe they got to go through Mary to get to Jesus. And you see, what's, it's the Antichrist doctrine of what can we do to stand against, to, to dilute the influences of Jesus. Antichrist? I think so. Christ says that we're all priests. Every one of us, including the women, by the way. We're all priests. And that we all offer sacrifices, holy sacrifices. We are a royal priesthood that is able to bring our sacrifices to the Father. Isn't that awesome? That we are priests. And Jesus, our elder brother, is the high priest. You'll notice that there is no mention there of Peter being the high priest or the Pope on earth. It's Jesus that's the high priest. And then all of us, Peter included, all of us are simply priests. But Catholicism has an elitist group of male-only priests. And these Priests are individuals that you've got to go into your little cubicle, you know, and you confess your sins to them. They've got these special powers, this elitist position within the church that allows them to do some things that others are not allowed to do, and etc., etc. Jesus Christ says that we're all priests. Catholics believe that there's an elitist group of male-only priests. Antichrist? I think so. Christ says that apostolic succession could only come to a person who was with him from the baptism of John until the ascension. That's Acts chapter 1. Apostolic succession is essential to the Catholic Church because they believe that the words that were given to Peter, where Jesus says to Peter, you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church, they, they suggest that that means they, that Jesus built his church upon Peter. You read the Greek there, that it doesn't mean that. But then within that same context, he's going to say that he's going to give to Peter the keys to the kingdom. What do you do with keys? Keys are used to open something up, right? And Peter most certainly had the keys to the kingdom. Who's going to give us the great sermon in Acts chapter 2 to open up the opening days of the church? It's going to be Peter. So yeah, he, he had that fulfillment in his life. Jesus will also say that whatever you bind on earth would bound in heaven. That particular statement, however, just a few chapters later, is actually given to all of the men. There And so that was not unique to Peter, even though they would like to suggest to you that that's some kind of a papal uniqueness. It's not. 
So back to our point. When we find out that apostolic succession could only take place, in other words, men had to be part, in order to be part of the original 12, that would receive the same level of authority that Jesus had, had presented earlier. They had to be with Jesus from the baptism of John until the ascension. And then we ask ourselves, how is it possible for any pope today, 2,000 years later, to have done those two things? We come to the obvious conclusion that can happen. And therefore, you recognize that apostolic succession, as the Catholic Church defines it, is a farce. So Christ says that apostolic succession can only come to a person who is with him from the baptism of John until the ascension. Catholicism, however, ignores those words, and they invent their own rules of apostolic succession, trying to give the Pope extra credibility to be Jesus on earth, essentially. Antichrist? I think so. Christ says that bishops need to be married to one wife and have believing children. Now, they, they like to take that passage, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and, and Titus 1 for that matter, the, the, the one woman man, they like to say that. Well, what, what he's really meaning there is that the person who's going to be a bishop, he can only have one wife. In other words, he can't have more than one wife. The problem is that they fail to recognize that it also goes on to add to that that he also has to have children, believing children. We're talking about a man here who's married, clearly. So to be a bishop, according to Christ, you got to be married. You got to have marital experiences. You have to be a father image to someone, and you have you have to have done it well, proven yourself in that context. So Christ says that bishops must be married. Catholicism, however, requires that their church leaders be celibate, without any personal experience of leadership within the home. Antichrist, I think so. Christ says the doctrines of men lead to vain worship. That would be empty worship. Um, that when you follow after and you pursue the, the titles, the accolades, the, the wisdom of men, that in the process you're actually creating a vain worship toward God. It's an empty worship because your focus is on men. And yet Catholicism demonstrates a vain piousness within worship, along with all their trappings of opulent materialism. This living illustration of vain worship documents the very warning that Jesus spoke against. When you, when you consider the titles, you consider the, the way that they, they, they struggle to make sure that they have the great attention, the, the crazy outfits that they wear, etc., you begin to recognize that they truly are living in opposition to Matthew 15, 9. Antichrist? I think so. Christ says we should not use special titles to elevate one Christian above another. Catholicism has a hierarchy patterned after the pagan Roman culture, as we've talked about in the past. And they award special titles in order to elevate a person above another. The title of father is especially telling. Priests, abbots are all called fathers. But the Pope is called Holy Father. And this is precisely, again, the sin that Jesus is warning against in Matthew chapter 23 when he says, y'all need to recognize that you're all one. Don't be fighting over positions. Don't be doing all this stuff that's born of arrogance and, and a desire for human accolades. Antichrist? I think so. Jesus says that we should not dress or act as if we are spiritually superior. 
Yet Catholicism parades its leadership in long flowing robes, attention-grabbing hats, prideful finery, while expecting them to receive the best seats in the house and get dominated atten dominant attention. Look at those pictures that we have shown you before, but how in the world can anybody justify that and, and say that any of this is humble? Any of that is humble. Look at especially this one right over this, right there, that one right there. Look at that big old hat, the gold-plated staff thing, you know, and, and what's with the fancy dress that he's wearing, etc. And why do the guys have to be holding it out there so it looks so flowy? Antichrist? I think so. You? And then in conclusion, I want to return you to that opening one. Christ says that his words are enough. <clears throat> Read 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Christ says his words are enough. Catholicism teaches that Christ's words are insufficient. They're not enough. They've got to be supplemented by church history and the magisterium. As I told you sometime, some lessons ago, this little meme here at the bottom was actually presented to me by a Catholic. And they were trying to illustrate the authoritative structure of the Catholic Church. And so they've got this stool with three legs. You notice that the two outer legs both re represent things of man. The magisterium, that's their hierarchy within the Catholic Church. And the sacred traditions, that's church tradition, the thing that men, men have done with the church ever since the first century. Both of those are in competition with that center one, the sacred scripture. And what you find with this sad, sad illustration is that two-thirds of the authoritative structure of the Catholic Church is based upon humanity. Humans. Frail, self-centered humans. Two-thirds of their authoritative structure is based upon the will, the opinion, the thoughts of mankind. Only one-third of their authoritative structure is based upon the will of God. I would suggest to you as we end this series that this is, by far, the most damning accusation I can bring against the Catholic Church. That God's not enough. In order for us to ever get to God, we first have to submit to man. Man, the magisterium, church history, those are the things that will lead us to God. And yet you look over your shoulder and you see how often we've screwed things up. You go back to the Inquisitions and you see how Catholicism screwed things up. You see people being burned at the stake, literally tortured in an attempt to get them to blaspheme, to, to turn against their convictions. Folks who have their, their bodies after death, have their bodies actually exhumed so that they can be desecrated, because these folks had opposed the Catholic Church in the past. You see the, you see the Crusades. You, you see the opulent structures that they have built by literally cheating the poor out of money, hoping that they can somehow buy their loved ones out of purgatory. And then more recently, you see the perversion of pedophilia that is a cancer within Catholicism. <clears throat> and you ask yourself, how could anyone trust humanity to be a supplement of Scripture. How could anyone trust humanity to feel like they have the wisdom to advise God? 
if there is a damnable accusation that I can make against the Catholic Church, it would start here, as I have this evening. Started and end right here. God's Word is enough. The Restoration School of Biblical Studies stands upon that firm conviction. Go to his book, read his book, understand his book by his interpretation of his book, and at the end of the day, you're not just going to have his book, you're going to have the heart of God in front of you. On the other hand, if you're going to wait for Catholic priests and cardinals and abbots and the Pope to tell you what the book means, I promise you that in the course of history, they will twist it, they will tweak it to make it come out to their advantage. You can't trust humanity. You can only trust God. And so, yes, Antichrist, I think so. Because they stand in opposition to just listen to Christ. Here are the five questions that I said we would try to answer in the course of that, and I think we did a pretty good job. I am so thankful that you have joined me on this 16-week study of this and adventure that we've had together. It really means the world to me. Thank you for being here. I hope that you'll continue to join us as we continue to study out some difficult things. This is Sonny Chow saying, be there, Matthew 16, 26.